Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the Alonements Podcast. I'm your host, Francesca Spector, and this show is all about your longest and most important relationship, the one you have with yourself. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing your time alone, regardless of your romantic status. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. Today, I'm doing a remote recording with Eric Kleinenberg. I guess the big lesson for me these last few weeks is that, you know, as I say, hell, hell really is other people, uh, but it's also their absence. It's just, it's just, it's, it's a hard time to be living alone. It's a hard time to be living with other people. It's, it's just a hard time. Eric Kleinenberg is a New York-based sociologist and author. His 2012 book, Going Solo, about the trend for people living alone and, crucially, liking it, was named by Time magazine as the number one idea that is changing our lives. He also collaborated with comedian Aziz Ansari on his book, Modern Romance, which, if you haven't read it, is the most important book you'll ever read on 21st century dating. But today I'm here to speak to Eric about being alone. We find ourselves in an unprecedented situation, where the decision of whether or not to be physically alone is more out of our hands than ever. Both in London and in Eric Kleinenberg's home of New York, we are currently under lockdown, largely homebound and therefore frozen in our present living situations. Those who are usually happy to live alone may be feeling unusually isolated right now, while those who cohabit may be longing for a bit more space. It is in this strange, shifted landscape that I speak to Eric today. Eric, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Nice to be here. Thank you. And how how is lockdown treating you? I understand you're home with your two children and your wife in New York. I am, and a, and a puppy as well. Uh, thank thank God. I don't know if you know this, but it it, uh, it became impossible to find a puppy in New York the last few few months. Uh, all the uh, pet adoption agencies are are empty because people want some kind of companionship, which is just totally fascinating. Yeah. And I have to ask, what puppy did you manage to get in this whole scramble for puppies? So we really lucked out because we, we got a puppy uh, this past fall, uh, you know, before the coronavirus hit. Uh, it was the, it just it, coincidentally, we had exactly what we needed to get through this crisis. Uh, but we got a, we got a Bernadoodle, um, a mix of a Bernese mountain dog and a poodle. Wow. And it's a small one. It's about 25 pounds. Um, and she's very happy. Right. She's getting a lot more attention than she used to get. Yeah, I'll be straight off this call and googling Bernadoodles. That's I've never heard of them before. <laughs> I think you should. 
probably a much better way to spend your time than talking to me. But we are, um, we're hanging in there. You know, there are um, times when we feel very fortunate uh, just to be healthy. New York has been a really hard place. Um, and times when we feel, uh, you know, really stressed um, like everyone else because uh, the, the surround is, um, is just difficult. Um, and, you know, I guess the big lesson for me these last few weeks is that, um, you know, as I say, hell, hell really is other people, uh, but it's also their absence. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's a hard time to be living alone. It's a hard time to be living with other people. It's, it's just a hard time. And so we're all experiencing that in our own way. Yes, completely. Um, and that's so, that's so interesting because, you know, you are a big inspiration behind my concept, Alonement, and, you know, particularly your book, uh, Going Solo, which you first published in 2012. And, you know, that's all about the trend for living alone and how that might be perceived in one way, but actually you talked about it in quite a fulfilling way. Um, so I'd be so interested to know, have you been rethinking any parts of your going solo sort of concept during this time? Well, for sure, because I think this is such a difficult time for, for many people who live alone, uh, because it's a, it's a time when you have to not just be alone, but also isolated, at least physically. Um, and when I did the project that turned into going solo, you know, my original focus and concern was social isolation. And when I started doing interviews with people who lived alone, I, I was expecting that they would feel uh, more lonely than most other people and that social isolation would be a big concern for them. Uh, and I was surprised when I did the research in both interviews and also a lot of analysis of, of, kind of survey data on uh, people living alone, because what I discovered is that, um, you know, people who live alone are are actually quite social and far more social on average than people who live with others. They, they're more likely to spend time with friends and with neighbors. They're more likely to uh, volunteer in civic organizations. They're more likely to go out into shared public spaces like you know, bookstores and, and gyms and libraries and music venues and bars. And so you know, the, the, the portrait of living alone that I gave in Going Solo was one which you know, not for everyone, because th there clearly are a lot of people who are home and alone and isolated and struggling with loneliness. And for them, it's, it's a tough condition. But for the most part, uh, people who live alone are quite socially integrated. And they really rely on, you know, public space and, and, and shared you know, gathering places uh, to, to put their lives together and to, and to build a social life. And so I think what's so challenging about this moment is that uh, people who live alone don't have access to those shared spaces now. And we have, you know, you have you have it digitally. You, know, you can you can be on Skype or FaceTime or you know Instagram or God forbid another Zoom meeting. Um, you know, but, and so so there 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 is a digital infrastructure for spending time with other people, but it really is 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 just not the same as being with someone face to face. And you know, I think that is the the challenge that a lot of people are are, are grappling with right now. You know, how do you how do you stay as connected as you need to be to feel okay when you have to be home alone? So you identify that there are sort of driving forces behind this new cult of individualism that sort of gives rise to the, the trend for people living alone. So you say it's uh, the rising status of women, um, the sort of communications revolution, mass urbanization, and the longevity 
revolution that we're all living longer. Yes. Yeah, so, so the so you know actually the I think that the two big driving forces contributing to the rise of living alone are you know first the kind of spread of more uh, affluence and economic security and that comes you know partly through the the market and uh, you know the kind of expansion of um, of 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 wealth to uh, you know the, the middle class um, and then uh, coupled with that uh, the rise of the welfare state um, as a you know, kind of public agency public agencies that provide people with the basic set of services that uh, you know allow them to live the way they want to live so you know if you live in a place that has uh, you know support for housing and guaranteed health care and home care uh, or good public transit and uh, public parks, you know, things like that, um, uh, unemployment insurance, that, that gives you a level of social security that allows you to, to, to choose how you want to live in a way that's historically unprecedented. So, you know, it, I guess the first thing to say is I think living alone is a luxury. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, it's not something that everyone has been able to do historically. You know, historically, our species lived with other people because we needed help. You know, getting food and shelter and and basic human security. So, so it's important to note that. Um, I mean, I think it's actually a puzzle, and, and my book is framed around that puzzle. Like of all the ways that we could use the kind of unprecedented wealth and social security that we developed in the course of the 20th century, isn't it kind of curious that we use them to get places of our own? Um, and, 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 and I say that because really the biggest demographic shift of the last 50 or 60 years has been the rise of the one person household. Uh, it just did, it like, it did not exist in the history of our species, uh, except as a kind of marginal condition that people occupied for a short period of time. And starting in the 1950s and 60s, it's become a quite durable living arrangement for enormous numbers of people. Um, and so I think it's important to note that, you know, it, it's expensive to live alone. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's easier to, you know, economically to share a flat with a roommate. And seventy-five years ago, if you were older and your spouse perished um, or you separated in some, although that was rare too, uh, you would be much more likely to move back in with your children. And and if you were a woman and you got divorced, you were much more likely to go move back in with your parents. And so there's like a there's a certain level of economic security that you need to make uh, to make this work. And uh, you know, I, I often frame it that way because the public conversation about living alone it, uh, focuses on it as a kind of problem or a source of deprivation. Uh, you know, it's a, it represents a kind of failure, I think, in the public imagination. And it seems to me like there's something fundamentally missing about that um, that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it, I mean, it is it is economically a luxury to live alone, particularly in london as it is with new york it's you know it's simply more sure. it's more affordable to be able to live with a housemate instead and so a lot of sort of early adulthood at least is spent living with other people typically um so do you think that you know do you think that this is a failure of infrastructure in a way do you think that we should be thinking about more innovative ways to provide that well i mean I think in, in terms of social policy, the thing that I can get concerned about most is there are a lot of people who are living alone uh, when they're older. Um, and while they prefer living alone to the other options, you know, like you're 80 years old, your spouse dies, 
you have a choice to either stay on your own in your own private apartment or to move back in with family or to get roommates. You know, most, uh, you know, middle class uh, people in societies like, you know, the UK or the US are opting to stay on their own. In fact, they feel like their their dignity or their integrity depends on it. Living with other people and moving back in with family would be like a, a kind of failure for them. And so I think what that means is we've got all these older people now who are living alone and at really high risk of, of getting isolated and feeling lonely and having the quality of their life diminish. And and that's because we, we haven't really invested in kind of housing stock or social infrastructure that, um, that keeps people, uh, gives people possibilities for routine daily social connections and that offers them easy access to social support. Um, that's the, from a policy perspective, you know, I'm, I'm more concerned about making sure that uh, older people uh, have the kind of social ties and support they need to live high quality lives than I am about, you know, the lack of options for 28-year-olds who are really sick of living with flatmates, um, just don't want to do their flatmates' dishes anymore and, and wish they could have a place of their own but can't afford it. You know, that's, <laughs> that seems to be a, se- a secondary policy concern. <laughs> Although I guess I should acknowledge that I, I think um, the fact, you know, one of the big reasons that so many people in their 20s and 30s uh, and 40s are living alone these days is because, you know, we dramatically push back the age of marriage um, and, uh, in fact, a lot of people are in many nations are not getting married at all. Uh, and in that context for many young adults, you know, getting an apartment of your own and not living with your parents or not living with flatmates, that is literally how you become an adult. You know, it's, it's by getting your own, by, by getting your own flat. Uh, so, it, you know, it is probably important for us to think about what that means, uh, in the 21st century. As it stands now, I think a lot of you know uh, people in their twenties, early thirties, uh, you know, feel like they're stuck in a kind of adolescent, you know, uh, collegiate uh, pattern of you know living around other young people and um, uh, you know not getting the privacy and independence that they long for um, because they can't afford to get a flat of their own, and so. You know, getting that first flat becomes an achievement. It's you know, it's aspirational, and you know, it's very interesting in the U.S. I, I don't know about in the U.K., but in the U.S., um, home purchases by uh, single people are much more common for younger women than for younger men. And I think for, for young women in particular, there's something about buying a place or you know, just getting a place of your own that signals your independence in a, in a kind of powerful cultural way. Uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a statement than it is for a man to get a place of his own, uh, because it also signals rejection of the idea that, you know, my adulthood is going to start when I get married to the right man. Um, it, it's, it's a, a very kind of powerful trend that, that, that signals something about, you know, what, what it means to, to be an, a, a, a woman today, which is really, which is really my core expertise. You know what it means to be a woman today. You probably, want, you probably like to ask me a lot of questions about that right now. Hey, well, you know, it's in the, it's in the book. Certainly you identify that the rising status of women is, and you know, the, statistically, as you said, like there, there are in, you know, in the book you identify that there are more women living alone than men. Um, I don't know. I, I, I am interested to, know what you think about the gendered breakdown of that you know is is it like you know do you think it is just you know middle finger to the to the norm to tradition 
No, it, it's not quite that. I mean, yeah, so so the, the way it works in the U.S. is that women are actually more likely to live alone than men over the age of 45. But under under the age of 45, men are men are more likely to live alone than women. But what, but I was saying before, men are less likely to buy an apartment. Like for, for, I think for men conventionally in the U.S., you know, they they tend to rent a flat if they're living alone, and they buy something when they start a family, um, and you know, get married, settle down with another person. Whereas women are more likely; they're they're actually less likely to live alone uh, under the age of forty-five, and, and that could also be because women tend to make less money even for the same job. Uh, in the U.S. labor market, and so that you know they don't have the extra money to spend on on a place. Um, uh, but but what I'm saying is, you know, what women younger women are more likely to buy a place because there's there's a kind of symbolic uh, significance in making that purchase. It it locks in the feeling of independent adulthood uh, in a way that's different than it does for men. But there but there's by all means there's a, a very gendered. Uh, nature to this, you know, I think one thing that's really significant uh, in the U.S. and in other countries as well is that women who live alone just tend to be much more socially connected uh, than men who live alone. Uh, you know, w- women, w- women uh, you know, are the, the, the better social capitalists. And uh, that means that women who live alone are more, are, are, you know, less likely to feel isolated or to feel lonely uh, and and men who live alone, especially older men, are just at much greater risk of having a whole range of problems. Mm, that's so interesting. It really what you're saying really reminds me of. Um, I had the BBC radio presenter on Joe Good, who she's lived alone for the past thirty years, and she's in her mid sixties now. And she was also sort of saying that women do have that greater social network. You know, you, you, your partner doesn't necessarily have to be your romantic partner. You also sort of have partners in different ways. So do you think perhaps some of that just, just come down to the way that we form friendships? Uh, very much, very much. And, you know, one uh, open question, I think, is whether the culture of uh, social connection and uh, and friendship among young men is changing because of social media. And the extent to which people are now, you know, spending social time online, uh, I, I wonder whether the, the, you know, there's been a change in the the kind of family level or, or even couple level arrangement of social life because it used to be that, uh, you know, w- you know, women managed a lot of the social interactions for the family, both within the family and with friendship groups. So you know, you had one phone line in your home and when the phone rang the woman was more likely to answer it and more likely to talk and the socializing happened often in the neighborhood with women you know talking to each other on the sidewalks or on the stoops or in public places and i think women managed historically a lot of of family relationships and also social relationships and you know that in a way that's a kind of uh another form of unrecognized and surely uncompensated domestic labor, but there's also a way in which that gave women historically a lot of social skills to build relationships um, and to, and to repair relationships. Um, And, you know, clearly that's a a longstanding pattern. Now I think what's happened is that, that, that whole structure of communication has decomposed and each of us are on our own. So from the time that children are very young, 
you know, they get their own phone, they get a, a, a Facebook, you know, account, they get an Instagram account, that at some point they get a Snapchat account, they are texting with their friends, that, you know, that every person is managing their own individual social network. And I really wonder whether that will have long-term implications for the way that we socialize as we age and enter into relationships. So, you know, again, is it, is it more likely now that, you know, men who grew up with, uh, you know, their own cell phone or you know, mobile phone uh, or social media as they get into their 30s and 40s are, you know, going to have a set of skills uh, for, you know, building a social life and repairing social networks that they, that the men before them didn't have. There's a part of me, there's a part of me that thinks that that's possible. And there's another part of me that realizes that like a lot of young men who grew up with, you know, online, everything are like basically using it to send dick pics. And then I think like, Oh my God, they're totally screwed. <laughs> Thank God they're going to have a woman someday to help them get through their social life. <laughs> No, I'm more optimistic than that. But I mean, clearly, we can be shitty people when we're on the internet. So, uh, you know, I don't want to overstate the social skills, but but I do think that there is a, there are real possibilities that um, some of those patterns are going to break down. We're speaking earlier about how technology is so important to keep us connected, and you know, obviously, never more so than right now. How how do you think? our experience of lockdown now might compare to how it might have been in the 1950s when we didn't really have any of this? Oh, well, you know, I don't want to be glib about the current situation, but um, it's infinitely better now uh, to, to have, you know, so many technologies we can use to connect with each other, to, you know, have access to so much culture, uh, you know, from the libraries that are offering, you know, ebooks and audiobooks and access to the daily newspaper, uh, to, uh, you know, the services that allow us to stream films and television shows, um, and, uh, you know, kind of social media and, uh, you know, the programs like this that allow us to record podcasts and to do remote education. Um, I mean, I think these are really extraordinary technologies and uh, we are in many ways lucky to have them. Uh, you know, what, what I also believe is that, you know, generally speaking, these technologies work better as supplements to our social life face-to-face -face and not as substitutes for them. And right now they are entirely substituting because we don't have access to interpersonal, you know, face-to-face -face time anymore. And you know, my fear is that when this ends, uh, a number of cities and uh, industries, uh, uh, employers will say, oh, the experiment of, you know, living in the pandemic taught us that we don't really need all of that shared public space anymore. We're better off just reorganizing society around the internet and home delivery uh, and kind of digital FaceTime uh, and that we will stop invest. Well, you know, we'll start to think of things like parks and playgrounds and libraries and school campuses and office spaces as luxuries and not as, you know, essential needs. And, you know, we're already in many parts of the world neglecting our social infrastructure. That's the subject of this book I wrote last year. Um, uh, and and I, I really fear that we will discard them altogether and, and, and kind of get a, there'll be a very big push from, you know, Silicon Valley and uh, the big tech companies to do more and more things online. Okay, so you think that we'll almost go ahead and accept this, you know, what was effectively a shell of 
normal communication um and, and that can be the norm we'll sort of accept accept less well I, I, don't, I don't know i don't know what will happen i mean i think most people are are really fed up uh with the situation that we have right now and would are longing for some interpersonal you know face-to-face time but i i'm i'm quite certain that you know the entrepreneurs in the digital economy the big tech firms will do everything possible to encourage us to um, stay online and keep on doing things through, you know, Amazon uh, or Netflix, uh, rather than you know going out to shop or you know go to the to the movies. And I'm also certain that uh, a, a number of employers that uh, you know run big offices will feel like uh, it's it's they're much better off, um, you know, reducing their office space, having more people commute from home uh, digitally because it's so much cheaper to do that. I could imagine universities making similar decisions. Uh, you know, I'm just I, I, I'm mindful that we're going to be entering into a really brutal economic time. We're, we're already there, um, and that uh, cities, governments, companies will be doing everything possible to save money. And a very easy way to save money is to say, you know, we're no longer investing in uh, shared physical infrastructure. We just, uh, you know, expect you to set yourself up for uh, life online. And you know the tech industry will totally exploit that. So I think I think that's going to be a a, a big fight. Yeah, um, which you know I think is I, I never knew actually before now how much it costs to keep someone in an office. You know, it's like a five figure sum. It's insane. Um, so I, I I suspect you might be you know onto something there and thinking that that could be a long term effect, which is hard I think because certainly as someone who lives alone. Um, you know, I, I recently went freelance, I was working in an office. And I think that sort of incidental social contact is something that I think you do, you do miss out on when you when you live alone. It, 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 it's sort of, you don't really know what you've got until it's gone. Like, even like, you know, the replacement of self-service checkouts, or you, you're talking to people in shops, like all of that, it's quite sad not to have that. And I think almost it's sort of drilled home how much that matters now yes uh, but you think companies might capitalize on it well by all means <laughs> we can expect that i think that the, look there's going to be a fight when this is over over how to rebuild and how to invest and you know what kind of future uh to make and uh, i think we are in for the battle of our lifetime politically uh, socially everything is up for air in the air right now and i guess mm-hmm. we'd say everything's up for grabs and uh, I think if, if you're not expecting to see a real push from employers to do more remote work um, or, you know, from the tech industry to do more things online or from governments to invest less in physical places, uh, I think you're, you're, you're being naive. I mean, this is, this is a moment where that will happen. But I, I think we'll get a strong push in the other direction as well from people who will say that, you know, now is exactly the time we need to rebuild in the way that we did, you know, in the U.S. during the New Deal when we invested in new infrastructure and new public places and put people to work building those things. Um, there'll be people who say we need a green new deal, which is something I believe in that, you know, we need to use this moment to invest in new energy, uh, you know, new systems, all, all kind of new lifestyles that uh, will be compatible with, uh, the, you know, the, our, our, our next threat, which is climate change. And so I think that's the, that's the political battle that we will face when this all ends. Mm. Yeah, and um, so yeah, that is interesting to think how it might, how society might change in that sense. And you know, do you think also what what do you think will happen? A lot of people have been, you know, they might live alone, but they 
live alone in a whole different way because as you say they're deprived of those shared spaces and they you know they might sort of have always been reliant on them before and now maybe not see living alone as so great um and then you know equally perhaps a lot of people are maybe with a partner or with housemates and might actually be craving independence in a way that they hadn't before um i you know i, I think i recall that you you wrote um after the Great Depression, people were living alone more. Um, what do you think might happen after a crisis like this? Do you think that there might be an increased desire for people to be living solo? Or do you think that actually we might sort of be desperate for connection in a way that we never have been before physically? Yeah, I, I really do think we'll be desperate for connection. I think there will be a, a tough adjustment adjustment period uh, where people um, you know, feel uncomfortable touching. Uh, and anxious about sharing space because we've grown so accustomed to being on our own, and I think we we are learning to to fear each other. Um, but I also, um, I, you know, I also think that um, uh, we will get through that, and uh, you know, I anticipate that we will return to public life. You know, it will it will take some time, um, but when there's a a good treatment for the coronavirus, when there's a vaccine. Uh, you know, I think we will we will get back to to things, uh, but but there's definitely going to be an adjustment period, and unfortunately, during that adjustment period, we're going to have to make some really big decisions about about how to invest our resources. Mm. So it's more, it's in that gray area pre-vaccine that we sort of ha- might have this strange distancing thing going on. I think once there's a vaccine uh, and a you know a reliable treatment method, and I hope that there will be one. Um, and I hope that will happen sooner than we anticipate at the moment. Um, you know, people's anxieties about public life will start to diminish. And I, I, you know, I think, look, I do think that for many people, this has been a much harder period of living alone than they anticipated. Um, a lot of people, uh, settled into places on their own, believing that they could have a, have, uh, you know, their own apartment and then, uh, easy access to social life when they needed it on their own terms. And it's one thing to live alone and to be young and healthy and, you know, professionally active and like have the capacity to work remotely and the knowledge to, of how to use different technologies and, um, you know, to experience this as a, a break in some ways. But, you know, for a lot of people right now, um, the isolation is just crushingly painful. Um, and, you know, the, the, they do not want to live alone and be alone in the way that that this moment requires and i I would not be surprised to see many people who are living alone at the moment uh think seriously about whether they should get roommates when this ends or or find some other situation but on the other side um i think we also can expect that uh, a lot of people who are living with a romantic partner are going to find that this has been a, a really rough period also and I would not be surprised to see the divorce rate spike when this ends. I would not be surprised to see people break up uh, with romantic partners that they've been with for a long time. Uh, uh, this is, you know, situations like this are not good for relationships. We're already seeing some early evidence that, that that's happening, and people are basically trapped with each other. You know, you can't get, you can't separate from someone right now without uh, real pain and, and difficulty. So. Uh, I would I would expect that there's going to be a lot of new people who might find themselves living alone with a sense too, because you know, like I said in the very beginning of our conversation, uh, as this is a hard time to be living alone, but it's also a very hard time to be living with someone else. Mm, yes, I mean, yeah, we saw the uh, the divorce rates in Wuhan 
saw after um, after people came out of lockdown. So it'd be interesting to see if the same pattern follows. That's right. Yeah, it makes me think of, um, I know that there's, what do they call it? Divorce Monday. Well, there's that day in January, I think it's the first day back, the first Monday back at work after the Christmas period where a lot of people do file for divorce after, I suppose, a similar thing, like intense time together. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Okay, so what I found really interesting is when we use the word alone, normally that's a negative thing. Um, you alluded to living alone and feeling alone that people might be experiencing at the moment. What do you, you know, what do you think about those terms? Because obviously with you know, with my concept, alonement, I'm creating a new word for being alone um, because I didn't think that the language we had around it was sort of sufficient to explain the spectrum of experience. But I know that you were originally going to call your book Going Solo, you were originally going to call it Alone in America, and then you yeah. changed it to Going Solo. And I completely, I understand why you ditched the America part, because it turned out to be a much more universal concept. But what about the word alone? Did you find it was too negative to include in the book title? Uh, by, by all means. I mean, it just signals something that was down and depressing. Uh, even if I didn't want that, there's, there's something about the relationship between alone and lonely, um, you know, that, 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 that triggers that association. I, I don't know if you thought about that when you were trying to name your podcast. Um, but you know, I, 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 I wanted to shift from alone in America, which, which was just felt like a, a book about a big social problem and social disconnection to a, a concept that expressed the, this kind of different side of living alone that I hadn't expected to find, and I, I liked going solo for that reason. But we also had we had we had we had real trouble figuring out what to put on the cover. Also, by the way, you know, like we, we couldn't we were really struggling to find a cover image uh, that seemed appropriate. And um, you know, eventually, like we, we realized we couldn't actually put a human being on the cover, and we and we put a bird there. <laughs> Yeah, so you have the, the birds in the birdhouses. Um, I think, yes, I was listening to an interview you did about this as well, because, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, look, having naming the podcast for me and sort of creating my own word, which does contain the word alone, uh, I, I think that sort of appealed to the rebel in me. I like, you know, I liked to think that alone has a branding issue and I, I wanted to tackle that. But yeah, so you spoke about how you found it really difficult to find an image for the front of going solo because you know, if you saw solitary humans, people thought Edward Hopper. And so you've got the, the birds in the birdhouses instead. Exactly. Which I think was a nice solution. It takes you to another place emotionally. There was something about putting a solitary person or a home that just, it, it just, it kept, even if you didn't want it to, it kept signaling loneliness. Like this amazing series of paintings by uh, Edward Hopper that depict, you know, uh, urban Americans alone in their apartments. And they're so horribly depressing um you know they 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 they're just images of isolation and loneliness and urban anime and i and i didn't want to go there i think it's a difficult task to sort of take something that for so long in western society at least has been considered a objectively negative or you know neutral absolute best state and to give it positivity but of course i mean you do do that in going solo you talk about how living alone at least can be a really regenerative experience um and you know i i think that was a huge inspiration for me well i think for a lot of people at certain points in their life you know living alone is exactly what you need to reconnect 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you've been in a relationship, uh, you know, that, that was romantic and intimate and things fall apart uh, and get very rocky and you feel like you need to get yourself back on your own feet. Um, you know, living alone can be a really good way to do that, for, in, for instance. Yeah, because you speak, so because you say that it's it's often a transitional state, not not that many people live alone for their whole lives. That's right. That's right. Mm. And um, yeah, and you you know you also speak about how um, it's it's almost gives you that those social skills. You you're able to enjoy other people's company more and take more pleasure in it because you live alone. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Well, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's, it's not necessar- necessarily that you'd learn to enjoy people's people more. It's that when you live alone, you, know, you wake up in the morning and it's up to you to, to, to decide what your social life is going to be. Um, you know, it's kind of all on you to craft a life for yourself. There's no, you know, preset uh, path uh, that you just follow. And there's no person who's going to lift you up and, and pull you into the world when you want when you want that or need that. And so, um, you know, that is both a source of tremendous pressure and it's also a source of tremendous possibility, but, but it, it requires you cultivating a certain set of, uh, skills and disposition. Mm. Okay. And obviously you also, you know, you're, you're now a, a husband and a father to two kids. Um, but you lived alone for some time yourself. I did. It wasn't a very long period of time. It was, you know, a little more than a year when I was in graduate school. Um, but it was an important time for me because, it, you know, first it, it did feel like a step. You know, I was not living with family. I was not living with other people my age. I was going to take care of myself, and I had to make decisions about, you know, how to how to set up a place of my own. You know, where did I want to live, and how did I want to arrange things? You know, how was I going to get my meals, uh, you know, by myself with other people? How, when and how was I going to socialize? And I just had a lot more time. You know, to myself, you know, to, to think about the life I wanted to live. And I actually wanted to being incredibly productive. And I realized at that time that there's a difference between, uh, you know, kind of being alone and achieving solitude. And there's something about solitude that's very productive, uh, both for, you know, kind of giving you space to, to work out, you know, questions about who you are and what you want to be, what you want in your life, what you want in a, in a partner, if you're looking for a partner. And also for, you know, for, for being, uh, productive and creative and, uh, you know, tapping into parts of yourself that, uh, you know, might not get expressed if you're busy socializing all the time. Mm. So it, it, you know, it wound up being a really useful thing for me. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. Um, and I think, you know, that distinction is so important, um, between, you know, obviously alone being this objectively bad thing. And then, you know, solitude is a bit more of a, I think it's a, you know, it's a bit more of a neutral word to me, but you know, the key thing about making a success of it, in my mind, it, it's often a choice element because it's quite, uh, it's quite hard, you know, in the wake of perhaps a breakup or, uh, you know, in perhaps, for instance, a global pandemic to feel like the state of being alone is a choice. Do you think that does sort of take away from the joy of this a bit? Do you think that's a challenge? I do. I do. I think that, you know, part of the challenge of this whole moment is the way in which it feels like our our life is, our lives have been radically constrained. Uh, and we have a new set of impositions that, you know, are not uh, of our own choosing. Um, you know, we, we you know, and, and, and we don't know how long it lasts or what the implications will be. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a really difficult moment, I think. And, 
um, I think there will be a reckoning uh, for all of us in different ways, you know, when this, uh, when this resolves. And with, you know, again, with, with going solo, you, you talk about how you know, when, when alone is good and when alone, you know, is for whatever reason, something that's, that's something you want to perpetuate and it's a good day. And, you know, it's a, as you, as you mentioned, like a state when you can think about what you want from a partner or how to live your life. How do you integrate these principles of you know, like a positive solitude if you're not in a position economically or for whatever reason to live alone? Well, uh, you know, it really depends on your circumstances. And uh, again, I want to say, I think, you know, living alone for many people is a luxury and for many people getting the time and space to achieve solitude is a, is a luxury as well. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't have living conditions that allow for uh, productive solitude. I mean, if you are busy taking care of other people, if you're living in a very uh, densely peopled uh, flat, uh, if you're spending a lot of time, you know, in a job that requires you to be engaged and focused and interacting with other people, you know, you, you, you might just find yourself burdened in such a way that solitude is a, an impossible fantasy. But if you, uh, you know, are living with other people and have, say, your own room or you have a job that allows you to have some downtime, um, you know, there are ways to find solitude by you know, integrating regular routines like taking walks without, you know, other media um, you know, just on your own, um, you know, doing something similar uh, in the, you know, in the privacy of your bedroom or uh, in your in your flat when your roommates are not around, um, getting away for a couple of days um, and trying to block out the world. You know, I think managing your relationship with uh, with your phone and with social media is a really important thing to do, and that that's a hard challenge as well because I think for for many people the the struggle today is that we you know we feel excessively connected like hyper connected uh because our you know our phones are are, are ringing all day long um we're constantly getting messages mm. it's with social media or you know like the hyper connectedness of something like whatsapp where you can have 10 different conversations at once that sort of it does feel that overwhelmingness um often you know even if you live alone you can be the most alone person ever um you know, even for me, I've, I've been, um, you know, I, I live alone and I still feel the need to be more alone by switching off my phone sort of thing. Yeah. And that's the thing for everyone. It's working out whether you're going to take solitude when you can get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to get there. You know, I think a lot, especially during stressful times like this, a lot of people kind of don't want to be inside their own head anymore. <laughs> they, they just need a break. Uh, but it, you know, it might be that getting inside your own head and really kind of reaching for some inner calm is the is the best thing that you can do. Eric, thank you so much for speaking to me. Uh, I, re- I really enjoyed it, and uh, good luck with the podcast, and good luck in the next few weeks and months for sure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's special COVID nineteen episode of Alonement. Eric is a huge inspiration behind the Alonement concept, and I think it's so interesting to revisit his ideas in terms of what we're going through at the moment. I know that whatever your living situation at the moment, whether you're isolating alone like myself, or you're with family or friends or a romantic partner or housemates, I know that every situation comes with its unique challenges when we're dealing with a situation that we honestly have no guidebook for. I hope that you're finding some peace in this and at least getting some time to look after yourself. I'll be back next Friday with a brand new episode of the Alonement Podcast. Until next time. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.